Welcome to Box Out Banter. We are now two weeks into the NBA season. Chris Okamura, Jordan Christmas. Jordan, how are you doing? How are the games for you? Two weeks into the season, and we already had a legacy game yesterday <laughs> in January we'll, we'll the, of a we'll, we'll 12-year a career. But yeah, we'll no, uh, games have been, games have been, uh, this season has been weird so far to start. There have been a lot of blowouts. Um, we can maybe talk about that later, why there's just seemed to be so many blowouts. But, you know, it's still early. It's a weird season. You know, teams have had abbreviated training camps. I'm trying so hard to just hold back any and all, not any and all, but like overarching thoughts on teams because some teams you just want to see them at what they look like after 10 or 15 games abbreviated season so the I guess the amount of games you need to see uh to see a team find its identity is a bit shorter but you know it's uh it's still very early but it's interesting nonetheless um how have you been taking in these games the same I think the thing that's so weird about these games is that some game some games teams will look really really good and then other team other games will just look absolutely terrible it like the yeah. the perfect example is the clippers game the clippers mavericks game right if you just watch that game you're like wow the clippers are are bad and then you watch the rest of them you're like oh the clippers are really good actually the clippers are still like a good team i don't know what's going on and yeah. then you watch something like the bucks where you're, they're really good and then they lose by 20 to the knicks and you're like what is going on mm. uh and the obviously there's a caveat too that again it is early and the thing is too that some of these losses are coming where teams are just resting people a lot. Yeah. Like the other night, the heat rested pretty much everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, like the, there's so much difference game to game of like how each team's performing. We're not going to know for another month or so. Also like the back to backs where the team is staying in a city, much like the Celtics did in Detroit. Uh, this past weekend, um, you got Hornets Sixers is going on right now, but it's the second uh, game in Philadelphia for the Hornets. Right. Um, so here, this so there's is a lot of weird want... variability. There's variabilities that are definitely stuff we haven't seen before necessarily in an NBA season. So it's taken a bit to recalibrate for me personally. Yeah. So this is something that I did want to talk about. Uh, I think Kyle Kuzma brought this up the other day, and I've heard other players bring it up too that they do like the smaller series kind of stuff mm-hmm. where you stay in the, in a city for a period of time. Yeah. I like it too. I like it in terms of like, well, I think cause we're kind of nerds where it's the idea that there's adjustments, the micro mini, adjustments. Yeah. Mini adjustments, even in a regular season game. Right. Like I love seeing that kind of stuff. Yep. That's it makes the games more interesting to me, but I can see from a casual fan perspective of like, we just watch this game. We kind of know how it's going to turn out. And obviously you're not going to get, when you play teams back to back, like the Lakers played, uh, who they just play? Not the Grizzlies, the series before that, the Spurs, they play the Spurs back to back nights. And so, yeah, the Lakers are going to win both games. But I think for me, the interesting thing was seeing like the micro adjustments and sort of the little mini things 
that yeah. they were doing differently between games, which is super fascinating to me. But I, I, I could see it from a casual fan perspective of like, this is boring. We just saw this the other day. We know what's going to happen. I could definitely see why players would like it, would like it because, you know, there's less traveling. There's less inflammation. Um, You know, when you're not traveling, you know, for, you know, one night you could be playing in Utah and then you could fly all the way to New Orleans. And I think another reason why traveling has kind of been a little bit iffy is because we have two teams on the East Coast that are in the Western Conference, which right. is also weird. And probably, honestly, it makes a better case for expand- for expanding the league. Um, I like the home-and-home home series, though, because, like you said, you know, we're basketball fans. We like to see the micro-adjustments, like, you know, seeing – I know you said we'll talk about the game later, but another back-to-back was the um, – blazers warriors that just happened over the weekend um right and seeing the adjustments from the blazers blowing out the warriors and then the warriors adjusting and putting steph on the ball just adjustments like that are kind of interesting to me i think the league when it's all said and done by the end of the year i think there's a lot of stuff from the bubble and this abbreviated new season that the league can take and implement like i like that they've already taking what they did from the bubble in terms of putting more extra space around the court. I think it gives players a safety landing zone. It gives players more incentive to try more daring attacks at the rim with, you know, not complete abandon for their body, but at least they have a larger space to land as opposed to trying to calculate where you're going to land and not hit the photographers or the people in the front rows. And, you know, looking at the aesthetics of that, I still don't see a reason why you can't, have the same amount of fans as normal just space when things get back to normal of course when this once however many years it takes to get by this pandemic or whenever fans come back but if fans do come back maybe you could keep the spacing around the court I see no reason why they can't do that so I think there's things they could definitely pick up from this this weird year calendar year for the league you know no totally agree so, do you want to start with the Steph Curry thing? Do you want to talk? Yeah, let's start with the <laughs> let's start with the Steph Curry legacy game last night. Um, well, like I mentioned, um, it was a you know uh, back. It was a mini series. Uh, the Blazers played back to back home games in Oracle Arena um, on Saturday, or I believe yeah on Friday, and then yesterday, uh, Blazers blew out the Warriors on Friday, and of course. Fueled by, also kind of fueled extra by the fact that it's Damian Lillard versus Stephen Curry. And the debate Lillard sparked over Twitter and the internet with his play last year where he was just incredible. I think um, this was, this amplified the Steph discourse because we already, we already talked about this on the pod. But going into the season, somehow weirdly this was seen as a legacy season for Stephen Curry or a legacy defining season. And I just don't. That's just not true. I think his his he's his career is air sealed tight. His resume is is done for me. So um, of course, when the Blazers blew out the Warriors on Friday, the jokes were flying, flying, flying all over the place. It was oh, Kate Katie was the real best player. Steph can't carry a team. You you need to build a specific team around Steph. You know all the tropes that people who started watching basketball after 2017 are saying, but. Steph reminded us yesterday just who the fuck he is. He dropped 62, a 60 a 60 burger on Dame Dalla's head after Dame 
uh, was talking, you know, not mad, not mad shit, but he said that, you know, Steph Curry's shots are coming a little bit tougher. It's not as easy this time around. And Dame after the game said, hey, if I can't, I got to be able to take it if I can dish yeah. it. And I, which, I respect, which is also, a, it's a main reason why I love Dame too. Like I've loved well, Damian The Lillard. thing is, I didn't, I think people, people used <laughs> Dame's comments to fuel the Steph Curry argument, but I don't think Dame was actually oh, no. saying anything wrong. Oh, I think I, he was just kind of like stating kind of factually that the Warriors are bad and it's harder for Steph to get shots off, which is absolutely fair. Oh yeah, no, yeah. It just it, you know how it is. It just gets taken like that. And also, sure. you know, you got guys like Channing Fry and other people just, you know, and and you know, people analysts who have hated Steph Curry for a long time players who used to play in the league that are now analysts when they played during the Steph when Steph Curry was on the rise they are kind of you know getting in their pot shots now that the Warriors aren't good anymore but Steph dropped 62 points with eight made three-pointers five rebounds four assists and it he was he had 35 at halftime and you could just tell immediately that Okay, like he he wanted to remind us it was personal for him, and you could tell. And uh, you know, I've been holding back on wanting to because you know me and my friend were texting talking about the Warriors' playoff chances and stuff like that. And I'm still hey, like, I want to wait ten to fifteen games before the season starts because one, I think seeds four through ten in the conference might not be as good as I thought. So I think the Warriors could get some wins in there, especially when you have a top three player like Steph or a top four, wherever you want to put him. And yeah, when you play the Nets and the Bucks right off the bat, you're going to look terrible. And I don't think the Warriors are as bad as they looked, um, even though they've been terrible. They've been absolutely god-awful. I don't think they can play. I don't think they're, that's the real them. I think when Draymond came back, it was a patent and Draymond game, one point, <laughs> eight assists, rebounds, and a, pl- a game-high plus 22. Um, him coming back de- defensively, the Warriors were great with him on the floor, off the floor. He, they were terrible. Typical Draymond yeah. and his impact on the Warriors. I just think the war. We have to wait a little bit. I think the Warriors are still a playoff team, especially because Steph's not going to shoot thirty six percent from three. No. Oh well. So my thing is with the Warriors because I think they're still bad, but I think Steph. I think this was like a a moment for Steph to go and realize like what needs to be done. And I think the I think for them to have any kind of success the rest of the year, Steph has to do the 06, 07 Kobe stuff where it's just like, give me the ball and let me just go. <laughs> yep. And let me take over. And that has to be their game plan because everything else that they do doesn't work. Yeah. If they let if they let anyone else do like the stuff that they were running before, and I know Steve Kerr has talked about it before of like and we talked. I think we talked about it last week of like, hey, the system works. You're going to run the system, whatever, whatever, all that stuff. It doesn't work. You have to give Steph the ball, and just let him cook. I will otherwise, say. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Otherwise, like Kelly Oubre, how many how many threes can Kelly Oubre miss? How many how many turnovers can Andrew Wiggins have before you go? Yeah, Steph could have the ball the entire time. Like you're having Steph set back screens for Oubre and Wiggins, and it's like. Yeah, that works if they weren't – well, I don't think Ubre has been as bad of a shooter as he's shown, but, I mean, setting back screens for Wiggins, like, come yeah. on, man. Like, And also, um, I will say, um, with Draymond coming back on Friday and Saturday – or Friday, it just looked like he hadn't played, 
in a year and also looked like because you know he had COVID and then the foot injury to start the year but Sunday he looked like Vince not I wouldn't say vintage Draymond Green because there was still stuff on defense he was missing but all the basic stuff and the rotations he had down pat and also I think on offense it'll help the Warriors a little bit just by the fact that they have another ball handling big that can pass like you see Oubre and Wiggins were a bit more effective last night because you know in transition they were filling the lanes properly because Draymond had the ball and Steph filled his proper lane and then you're not having Wiggins Oubre and Wiseman trying to run dribble handoffs with Steph and all the off-ball stuff the Warriors have liked to do for years they were running some of that last night even though Steph had the ball way more in his hands probably since the Mark Jackson era they still ran some Steph Curry dribble handoffs with Draymond Green because he's just a smart offensive player. And I think the Warriors need every little bit <laughs> of help they can get. Oh, yeah. Um, especially, you know, we already know Draymond's impact on the defensive end, but just anything could help the Warriors. Um, I am also just really down to see a year where Steph Curry takes like 25 shots a game because I think he needs to take 30 shots a game in order for the Warriors to have any kind of success have any kind of success against contenders and good teams I think the bad teams um not so much right but if you're talking about the seeds four through ten in the west for the playoffs and then the play-in games Curry's gonna if you're not if Curry's not getting 20 shots 25 shots at least that's a failure in my opinion yeah Absolutely. He's again, I completely agree that Draymond kind of gives them another tool and another smart player, but I don't necessarily think that he like makes them good enough to a point where I go like, yeah, they're a playoff team. Well, I think it's stable. I think it stabilizes them. And it, it, to me last night showed and like their improvement just shows me that like, okay, yeah, Steph just needs to like, take every shot and, and he needs to play 48 minutes or a ton of minutes oh yeah that's like a big it, that's a big part of it because if he doesn't if he doesn't go off that game is still they still lose that game oh yeah oh oh 100 of course it's just the uh, draymond makes the shots Dr- draymond gave steph some some shots yesterday that necessarily weren't there when kerr was trying to yeah. run a calculus offense for uh sure. NBA but again players like, I, that... I think that's just I think that just comes down to like, it just gives them another piece, like another piece on the chessboard, so to speak. But it's not like you still need Steph just needs to go off every almost every game for them to even have a shot against some of these good teams. Oh, yeah. Well, I think Draymond's defensive impact will also help, too, because I think that's also just as big because even when he wasn't there, like the Warriors were giving up a a thousand points. And then you saw last night. You know, when Draymond was on the well, court, I mean, the Warriors had they a, still gave up 122 points. Well, look at the on-off splits with Draymond is what I'm saying. So, like, last night the Warriors had a 100 defensive rating when Draymond was on the court. And then when they were off the court and it was just, you know, Looney, Wiseman, Wiggins, and, you know, guys like Brad Wanamake, guys filling in those roles, it was a 131 defensive rating. So I think Jesus the Warriors Christ. need I know. So I think Draymond, on that end at least, is going to keep the Warriors in some games because, <laughs> let's be real, like, Wiseman is raw as hell. Wiggins is not a good defender at all. Oubre, he's a great on-ball defender, but, man, does he lack attention when he gets put in any kind of off-ball action or whatever. And they just need they need a defensive player of the year 
guy like Draymond to at least make sure the Warriors' defense isn't league worse bad, you know? Um, sure. So I still ha- I still think th- – I still am a big believer in Steph and Draymond. I think the Warriors are a low-seed playoff team. But it was just funny how this was a, <laughs> a legacy game. And, you know, it's Twitter talk. People joke on Twitter. Like, I've learned over the years not to take it as seriously. But – I do still get slightly annoyed with the Steph discourse because I still don't think we've been properly able to contextualize just the type of great player that he is. So that's just my two cents on it. <clears throat> sure, I can, I can see that. I think, again, I think we disagree just in, in terms of him being the second greatest point guard ever. I still have him in the top five, top ten point guards ever. I think he's. I think I have him somewhere in the range of like four to seven. I'm not entirely sure where, but like he, it's not like he's a terrible player. And I don't think a bad season or a year like this with this kind of team, I don't think should hurt his legacy in the way that people are saying it's going to. But because it's like it's like know, on one, talking. it's like on one hand it's like okay, well Steph won championships and proved people wrong, but then it's like oh you let's see you be put in a awful situation to try to win a championship. It's just backwards to me. And also, well, I mean, it, it comes down to the thing where I think the problem is. People keep comparing him to LeBron where they're completely different players and they do different things. And I think LeBron's game is more suited to carrying scrubs just because of his size and what he's able to bring to the floor. That's different than what Steph brings. And I think like comparing someone to a player like LeBron is completely unfair. Oh yeah. Any comparison to LeBron possibly the greatest player ever is unfair. Right. So I like that that's where I kind of think the the discourse is of just like when when it's like it's like anything like oh Steph's great but is he better than Le- like oh Le- LeBron did this. Well yeah, Le- and that's LeBron. You can't compare Steph to LeBron. It's not you know it's a different kind of conversation here. Right. Where it's like, you know, Steph isn't 6'9, 6'10. Well, my thing like is a tank. Steph can win with non-NBA all-NBA players like Draymond Green and Klay Thompson weren't all-NBA players when or Klay Thompson made the 2013 all-NBA team it was before Steph won his first championship and also anybody who gets 50 wins under Mark Jackson as their head coach that's a fucking success to me like okay I like I like Mark Jackson as a coach I did too but I I did too but looking back at some of those games man like I'm I'm having some you know I'm having some – it might be revision, revisionist, but Jackson really had some archaic offenses. And when he got fired, I remember I wrote about it at the time, I was like the only options have got to be Kerr and David Blatt because, like, I, I don't know why they're firing Mark Jackson because he was their most successful head coach to that point. But, you know, obviously they got Kerr and the rest is history. But I'm just saying, like, like the Warriors championship teams didn't just – appear like they didn't just say abracadabra boom here's three championships like Steph built that shit from the ground up and I think people who didn't watch who started watching basketball after 2017 just (laughs) they don't remember that you know well you gotta remember too that there's a lot of there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of Warriors fans out there and there's a lot of people out there that that are just yeah that are just really bandwagony Mm-hmm. And then there's and, bandwagon haters too, which is funny. <laughs> right. But then there's also, there's a, I will say that there's a lot of Warriors fans and like Steph Curry fans in particular that do put him on a really high pedestal that they don't understand 
like there's a lot of Warriors fans that also started watching around that time too. Yeah. And Steph fans that don't understand the context. So when they so they have Steph as the GOAT, which he's not. Oh you, no, he's not. And not... so that's I think that's where the fight comes in. Where it's oh, like yeah. you have you have the people that are too high on Steph and people that are really low on Steph. And then they just kind of meet in the middle and then everyone else kind of takes sides. Yeah, it becomes Infinity Wars. <laughs> right. Right. And then that, that like and again, I, I'm not as high on Steph as a lot of, as some people are, but I have him I think I have him fairly rated. I don't I don't necessarily I don't see him as the best player ever. Like I had this discussion with someone the other day that thinks Steph Curry is the greatest player of all time because he changes the NBA. No. And I was like he's not yeah, so, the goat. He's not the goat. So and again, and I I always put a step on like he he didn't change the NBA. The three point movement was already happening. Steph just pushed it to another level. <laughs> yeah, that's that. There is some there is some truth to that. But uh, there he did make he did make the off the dribble three a more potent shot. More Him cool and James shot. Harden, it, yeah. uh, James Harden step back and Steph's off the dribble three. I, I think mean, my, my changed thing, the my dynamic thing is, I always, with that. I always think that Dirk doesn't get enough credit for the three point movement. Oh, I think yeah. Dirk is the most important guy for the three-point movement just pulling bigs out of the paint yep. and saying like hey my bigs can shoot threes that's to me the most important thing for the for the kind of where we are right now in the nba is dirk yeah and i don't think people understand that everyone kind of credits curry and harden and like the deep bombers but like yeah to me it starts it starts with dirk and people don't understand that enough yeah but whatever that's a different conversation oh yeah um speaking of the war i don't want this is warriors adjacent but um you you replied to one of my tweets today, and I actually wanted to save it for the show. But um, so after seeing um, John Wall and uh, Kevin Durant, oh, right. okay, um, and seeing how they've looked off of you know Achilles surgery, I have to say I feel a lot more optimistic about Clay Thompson than what I did back in November. Um, now. There's a few caveats to this. Uh, John Wall took 18 months, basically two years off to come back. Um, yeah. But it's still incredible just how fast he looks. I was watching both Kings games, another back-to-back in Houston or back-to-back thing in the NBA, but the Kings were in Houston for the weekend, and it was basically like watching – it was it was watching like – it was watching like – the. <laughs> this is like uh, when I when I was watching Saturday morning cartoons as a kid, and I saw the episode where Superman and Flash were racing around the world, and that's what it was like watching De'Aaron Fox and John Wall. Um, yeah, they were, it was just people don't realize fast. how fast people don't realize how fast John Wall it still is. And like I I tried to explain this to someone the other day of like someone told me that John Wall was ne- was never that good. I was like, dude, John Wall at one point was the fastest player I've ever seen on the basketball court. <laughs> oh, I've, <laughs> I have one, um, one of one of my friends also said that a uh, John Well, actually, it's our mutual friend. He when he first started watching basketball, he said John Wall was bad and he was just a rookie. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> but uh I've I've loved John Wall for a long time. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've been I've always been a big fan of John Wall. And so for him coming back, I love it. Uh the thing that I replied to your tweet about Yeah. Is my only concern with Clay is the lateral movement defensively. Yep. Because like, even Wall, with Wall and Durant, you see it a little bit. Like, yeah, there's like they're just losing a step. And so the thing, the, my concern is like, with Durant and Wall, they're elite athletes. So when you have them losing a step, you're just kind of bringing them down to like human levels. Yeah. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where with Clay, Clay is not an elite athlete, and he a lot of his defensive capabilities were built on his fundamentals and his intelligence as a defender, and sort of his. Uh, I think that his I think those to, would help him as he right. But so, but my thing is like when you have someone that with that has average to maybe kind of even below average athleticism for an NBA player, mm-hmm. losing a step is a pretty big deal. Yeah. Especially when he has to chase around the, you know, these guys as a primary, as a primary on ball defender, mm-hmm. the guys that he's trying to keep up with losing a step for him and different than wall or Beal or wall or, uh, I don't know why every time every time I see say wall I want to say Beal because but, they were a fun backcourt. I, know. And I love that backcourt. <laughs> so, but every, even watching Wall and Durant, the step that they're losing, I can see impacting Clay a lot more. Yeah, of yeah. Uh, no, I I agree with you there. It just um, offensively, it's, it's, I have no concerns. Oh yeah, offensively, I have no concerns. I guess it just <laughs> depends for me how often do we because. Like I would, I think I mentioned it a few pods ago. But even when you watch John Wall, like there are like two, two out of every five times or so, where two out of every five possessions where you could see he lost the step that you were talking about. So I guess for me, it's how many of those chant, how many of those times are we going to see that happen to Clay? And I do think it will be more often than not. But I just, I love, I still, obviously. The second to me is the second greatest shooter ever. I think he's a smart, intelligent defender, um, and I think that will help a little bit. But uh, I, I, I do this. feel more op- optimistic picking, about Clay. Jump, if I'm picking jump shots, I'd rather have Clay's jump shot than Steph's. Or you're just talking about pure form, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather, absolutely. I'd rather have also, stuff. like Clay Thompson is probably like him and Steph are probably like the two best heat check guys just from the sense of like they could score points in like they could score points in bunches in a quick hurry like we see more often now players are dropping like 15 or 20 points in the quarter like Steph and Clay were doing that like at the height of their Warriors run even before Durant came there and I have seen I have seen a lot of those blow-ups too like the offensive explosions like it well, yesterday also reminded me that just, it just felt like the early 2010s before like the before the Warriors were on the rise. It was like Steph Curry was the premier league pass player to watch whenever the Warriors were on. Well, I was lucky. I I lived in Humboldt and the Bay and uh, Northern California, so I got it on cable. But um, Steph Curry is the league pass guy to watch whenever he's on like that, and it was really fun. So um, I am more optimistic about Clay, though, uh, going back to our original point. But he might take a step back on defense um, for sure. Um, so I know we talked about – we've talked about half an hour basically about the Warriors. Um, I wanted to mention some young players that have seemingly their stock has gone up. Let's talk about your guy, Brandon Ingram. Yeah, man. Like, Brandon Ingram taking another leap. And that three-point shot, dude, like, he's figured it out. <laughs> like, he, the Pelicans are 4-2 and two right now. They're starting lineup. Um, I'm trying to pull up the numbers on cleaning the glass, but I know Stan Van Gundy has talked about with the starting unit that the offense seems clunky. Well, that's what happens when you don't surround him surround Lonzo, Zion, and Ingram with enough shooting, although the defense and rebounding has been to par with uh, that starting unit. But 
Brandon Ingram, averaging 24 points per game, seven seven rebounds, um, over five over slightly over five assists per game, but he's shooting it at a 59.7, a near 60 percent true shooting percentage. His free throw rate is at a career high. He has taken another leap as a playmaker so far. Um, what have you liked about Brandon Ingram so far, man? He's your, I know Laker fans still protect Zoe and Ingram like they're their babies and Josh Hart too. Um, I know you guys still keep track of them and check in on Pelicans yeah. games, but what have you seen from your boy? To me, it's always been the consistency of his shot that's kind of held him back. Yep. Is his when he was at the Lakers, he was always good and getting to the rim. He's fantastic around the rim because of the long. He has long ass. He's a long boy. Yeah, he's man. a. <laughs> this is the definition of a long boy. So he and he uses his. He has. He uses his length really well. I think there's some players that don't use their length that well, but he uses his length perfectly where he's able to kind of get around defenders, leave his body behind kind of, and just kind of like slither around defenders with his arms. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's fantastic at that. He's fantastic at kind of getting, working his way around the rim in that way. Um, It helps on those interior passes too. Like his arms are just stretching around people. Stretch Armstrong, dude. And he's, he's fantastic at doing that. And so, what defenders would try would start to do is they start to sag off and really wait for him to do that because it was kind of the only thing he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's when he started developing the mid-range game. He had a great turnaround that he still uses right now. But now he's spread it out to the three-point line. He's shooting 42% from three, which is fantastic. And, you know, the last two years with the Pelicans now, he's hovering right around over six attempts per game. The Lakers years, he was averaging just over two attempts per game. And you could tell his shot has changed, too. Like, he's worked on his mechanics and all that. Yeah. And so all the three-point shot opens up everything else because he has fantastic playmaking ability. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when you have him, when you give him that much space, now now the whole floor opens up, right? Uh, I think also having having guys like JJ Redick around on the floor with him and Lonzo Ball. Lonzo's gotten a lot better, a lot more confidence shooting. He's not making them at that high a clip, but the mechanics look so much better. The it's early. He'll, so much he'll better. come around. Yeah. I believe in that shot. But like just just watching it, it looks so much cleaner. And every time he shoots it, it looks like it's going in. It's not like he's missing like a mile by a mile. Yeah, like it's he not. Was he's not clanking it. You know, far yeah. right or far left or complete back iron and so and plus when you have zion diving to the basket and like i think the offense just functions so well with him being sort of the primary ball handler yep uh at least in the half court where he's thriving in it and it it's absolutely fantastic so yeah i'm i'm proud of my boy Mm -hmm. i still have i still have some rookie cards that i that i'm holding that uh i got super i imagine might be really valuable very soon uh, well, so I bought the cards I have. I bought their PSA tens, their Prism rookies. For anyone that knows cards, those are like that's the, the highest card graded you. card, right? P- yeah, PSA ten. P- yeah, so PSA tens like the grade, but I have pr- their Prism basketball. So Prism basketball is like the top set you want to buy. And so I have his rookie cards from 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have those cards. I have a couple of them, and I bought them for like ten, fifteen dollars a piece. And so right now, I checked them the other day. They're going for about seven to eight hundred. Oh, oh my so, god just just chilling on him just holding them yeah i'm yeah. gonna do a facetime with uh my friend soon who uh 
he he's been collecting basketball cards for it not too long but it's been a minute now like he's in he's i think you could say he's firmly in the game so to speak um yeah but uh i got some i got some deep cuts i got some lebron rookies and you know oh wow we're, we're, you've we're been collecting for a minute then like a minute minute <laughs> well my dad my dad collected cards so that's where it comes that's where it comes ah, from okay then okay yeah i know ne- well, I, I missed the basketball card train as a kid i was more into Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Pokemon cards, like cards you could, I guess, play. I got those too, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got hey, I too. still have them, and I was looking at a, I was looking them, I was looking up, you know, card values the other day. So, <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> got some my, cards. I got my, I got my Charizard. I recently just sent it into PSA. Damn, but, uh, you have a hollow Charizard. I do. I pulled it oh, in a wow. pack when I was four years old. Oh I, wow! I, it, dan- so that must be like first edition. <laughs> Uh, no it's it's an, it's unlimited set so it's it's the it's base set but it's unlimited so it's not a uh, first edition but oh still worth it still worth a decent amount of money but i i just i'm 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 worried about sending it through the mail so like yeah. right um we'll, maybe, we'll but i'll but i'll start collecting a basketball card soon i'm sure hey, man, card co- let me know oh yeah i oh well now i have two resources um shout out to george our number one fan of this podcast as he self-proclaims um (laughs) uh might be yeah um (laughs) (laughs) so one one i'm sure longtime card collectors will be happy about another player that is jumping the value if they own this card but i have to say um I'm going to have to put uh, – I wanted to see a little bit more. I wanted to see a leap from him, but I got to put Damanis Sabonis – I got to boost him up into my Tier 2 of NBA players because he, is, he has been off. fucking awesome. Um, he was an all-star last year, and you could already kind of see that the Pacers were running their offense through the more, especially at the elbows. He's the father of Arvita Sabonis, one of the – best passing big man of all time in basketball history um taking the lead this year didn't didn't join the nba till he was in his late 30s too yeah yeah um we really you know we i wish we could have seen what well you know me and you were too young for prime uh arvidas but if he had entered the nba in his prime i would have loved to have seen the basketball reference page on his career stats and stuff because it seemed like he was incredible but his son, Demonis, averaging a little under 21 points per game, 11 rebounds, nearly seven assists per game. Um, it's his team now, firmly, I believe, um, especially with Victor Oladipo's you know, contract situation and stuff, which surprisingly hasn't affected the team that much. But their new coach is clearly running everything through Sabonis. He's getting Sabonis to take more threes, although it's not really much. He's taking over two a game. Um, which is the most since his rookie year. Um, but he's not it's not Nikola Jokic esque, but it's in the same fabric, right? It's the passing right. big at the, you know, foul but, line. But not just not just passing big, but passing but a score. Like Right. Passing but he the thing with Sabonis is Sabonis plays He's a bully. Like he, he plays more in the post than then I feel like Jokic does. Jokic, Jokic doesn't use his size in the way that I think. When you think he of doesn't like, use his size scoring in the post, big, right? Yeah, but Sabonis, as much as much. Sabonis I say. does. Sabonis bullies around. Yeah, he doesn't mess. Like he he lowers his shoulder into dudes. Yeah. Um, he 
the difference between Jokic and Sabonis post-ups is Sabonis, he'll he'll post up to score a bit more. I think Jokic could do that in his sleep, but Jokic is a he's he's a savant passing. He his passing out of the post-ups is deadly, so he chooses that first. But Sabonis is mean, man. Like he'll he'll lower the shoulder on you, he'll dunk on you, he'll bump you, he'll bump the defender off his spot and then drop a nice dump off pass. Like Sabonis is a legit like tier two already but I think there's more room to grow for him especially if he takes more threes if he improves his free throw percentage but he's already taking a career high in free throw attempts like it seems like they have given the keys to Sabonis and he is and the Pacers offense has been better for it um Victor Oladipo he's looked actually kind of decent I mean it's still on and off because of the injury because of he's still knocking off rust I feel but Man, Sabonis has been awesome, and I just love and me personally. I just love versatile. Um, I love versatile big men. Um, I just like post play. I miss yeah post post play. play is yeah. It's we know nerds that post play is not the most efficient offense, but it's just the aesthetic and the aesthetic variety of it that I like. It's Plus, the footwork. I, I love the footwork and yeah, like- I love every part of basketball, even even the perceived mostly the perceived worst because there are things I don't like but posting up and I could tell you as somebody who you know was masquerading as a six foot flat center in high school (laughs) um I like I like post-ups and I like the skill that it takes to you know it is a form of isolation too which you know I did grow up on you know with Allen Iverson T-Mac Kobe um Vince Carter it's 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 just a nice cool change up of basketball, but I love that the post has kind of evolved, right? I the, that's the thing with this, like the big men have evolved more than anything. It's not that the post is dying or the post up was dying. I just think in the middle of the 2010 decade, bigs had a curve to catch up on in terms of evolution of skill and talent, right? Yeah. Because you know they were a little bit behind. It was usually, and I could tell you from experience growing up, like it was get your butt in the post. What do you do with shooting out there? That's why Dirk was such an anomaly, and guys like Charles and maybe Shaq couldn't understand why Dirk was seven feet tall and not near the basket. It's because Dirk is a skilled offensive player. Um, same with it's like the whole discourse. Um, it's like the whole discourse with Shaq and every big man ever. Like, if it's not exactly like how Shaq does it, then people just assume that bigs are dead. And I, I just don't agree with that. I just think it's well, evolved. It's, it's, yeah, but, it's a difference between, like, what people view as, like, the traditional big man, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, the, Most definitely. Like, what I would call, like, a power big. Like, I think the, the idea of a power big were all your only job is to like defend the paint and dominate the paint. I think is kind of like not dead, but I think that that role that that gets that played function, off the floor pretty easily right. in the playoffs now. That that function is not necessary. Like that's kind of what Dwight is at this point in his career. Yeah, and you see it in in sort of some. Situations I'm loving it during the regular easily. season, but I know come playoff time, it's. It, <laughs> I'm afraid of like if there's a matchup Dwight's not good with, we don't have a backup plan. You well, know what Dwight. I mean? Dwight's the good thing with Dwight is that he still has some lateral mobility and athleticism to stay with guys in the perimeter. So it's not too much of a liability, but it's but in offensively. The, it yeah. certainly hurts. Yeah. But it's more in that same vein we were talking about. It's like those guys, like the Deandre Jordans, right. 
Like right. those guys. Andrew Jordan's a better example. Yeah, that would probably be a better example. Like the bigs that are just there are old defense rebounding and you know clean up clean up around the basket. I think those get played off the floor pretty easily. And now we're seeing a resurgence of bigs with Sabonis, with Jokic, with Embiid, with um, Gobert, um, Aiton now on the come up, Cat. Um, I still think Cat is a player you can win a championship with. Um, you, I, just in terms of if you if you make me the GM, I think I could. This <laughs> this it sounds very arrogant and presumptuous of me to say, but I'm just talking mainly. If you made me the GM and you're like, can you build? Could, do you think you could build a championship team around Cat? My answer would be yes. I think there are things you can do to make a championship team around Cat, much like with Booker and a few other exa- out-of-position examples. But the big man is evolving, and I think it's cool more than anything. And I think the post-play, it's not dead. It's just different. And uh, right. different's cool in a lot of ways. So, Right, um, I totally agree. The thing I want to see more of, and it's my favorite thing in basketball, is the inverted post-up where your big is the one, your, your big is the one uh, passing into the post to a guard who's posting up a smaller guard like jordan used to do all the time kobe used to do all the time like Embiid like and Steve's... simmons do although simmons doesn't yeah. have the post <laughs> right but like <laughs> when you when you're talking about like guards that have post presence and can play in the post like uh mm-hmm. steve smith used to do it all the time like you just invert the post right oh my god if the wolves get Cade cunningham i they are going to be automatically my league pass team next year yeah because cat can handle the ball and then Cade has the size to post up and and the skill to post up any yeah. kind of guard. And Cat is taking like 10th, well, before he got hurt, but he was already right. trending that way last year. He was taking like eight threes a game at like 43%. So it's and like, so like, it's so much fun to watch. I love watching inverted post play because it's so, because most of the time the guard doesn't know how to defend in the post. And the big struggle. doesn't know, is out on uncharted waters out on the right. perimeter. And so then you just have this, this dynamic where the offense is fully in control. And yeah, where they time, where they can dictate the terms all the time, right? And then most of the time, if the guard gets by by his man and goes to the basket, the big has to go and recover, and it's wide open shot for the for the center up top, right? Yeah, or or a swing swing for someone else in the corner, right? So it's so easy, man. Um, but uh, yeah, I man, love, that I, would be I so love fun. starting an offense like that because it's it's beautiful. My my, my two thi- like if it if if there was a Cade Cat combination or a Lamelo Cade combination next year that's going to be my league pass team <laughs> so yeah. i i have just decided on i have declared on this podcast that wherever Cade goes wherever Cade goes i am going to watch because that dude is awesome um i don't know if you follow him on twitter but jackson frank he's a writer out in washington and for the gonzaga bulletin he goes to gonzaga i believe but um he is a very he's very good at breaking down prospects and it's not just Cade's offense but his he he's going to be a very good defender in the nba too like he has the he has danny green-esque off-ball instincts as a defender and he has the size and know-how to stay in front of the ball like that dude's a complete fucking player and Mm -hmm. it it it, it's going to be cool to watch um can I talk to you about a concern I have for the Nets that I think is it's not an overreaction, but okay, go. It's a trend that I is don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Is I'm, it defending big men? Well, yes, it's part of that, but I want to say the Nets are going to be contenders because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. 
But I don't think the gap is as big as people think because some flaws the Nets have. One, they're 12th in defensive rating per cleaning the glass. Um, Obviously, defensive numbers at this point in the season, that's kind of perilous to do because there's just, it's early game, early. It's sample size is too small. But there are some troubling things with their defense, like the lack of not as good of rim protection as you would hope between DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen. They are dead last in defensive rebounding percentage, and it matches up with what I've seen from them so far. Um, the two Hawks games over the weekend and then the, the two Hawks games and then uh, last week and then the Wizards game yesterday, they would finish defensive possessions or they would play good defense for 20 seconds and then they would allow a backbreaking offensive rebound. And that happened a lot in the games that I have watched so far from Brooklyn. Well, that happened, that happened to them against the Hornets too. The Hornets just came out with the energy yep. and, and the youth and the athleticism to out rebound them. Yep. And that's how they lost. Yep. And uh, it's a good, that's the back. I don't, I think that's the backbreaking flaw. And, you know, obviously it's my bias cause I'm a Sixer fan, but you know, I, I've, I retweeted something the other day. It was like, well, yes, the Sixers probably don't have an answer for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Although you could probably mitigate it by putting Ben Simmons on one of them. Right. The Nets don't have an answer for Joel Embiid and for somebody like that or Giannis. Like it is concerning for if they get there. Or yeah, or even an Anthony Davis or a Jokic. No, I'm kidding. The Nuggets aren't that good. Or DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> They're DeAndre Ayton for uh it's just the Nets don't have the personnel to match up with the skilled bigs in the East. What well, Bam Adebayo is another example although Bam doesn't mm-hmm. have the overwhelming size to completely overpower and throw a team into the ocean like those other bigs I mentioned do. Bam is versatile, changes the game defensively and um is a matchup problem. Um, I think these are, those are big concerns for Brooklyn. And I think the Dinwiddie injury is already starting to have an effect because it may it puts – and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can do it. They're great players. But you would rather have an extra ball handler so you can fully utilize the skill sets of those two. Right. And now Kevin Durant is making more plays out of pick and roll more often instead of running pin downs for him and mixing it up more. Um, you're already starting to see the Dinwiddie effect. Although they're a deep team, I did say – the Dinwiddie injury was the one injury I think the Nets could not afford to have. And, and they, starting... they announced today that... And that Kevin Durant now, yeah. Oh, or Dinwiddie? Yeah, Dinwiddie's oh, yeah. out of the year. They're, they're seeking an exception. And also, um, Kevin Durant will be out for seven days now because he yeah. is in quarantine. So that's the other thing with this season, too. There's going to be stuff like this all year where the team could lose a key player because of quarantine and stuff like that. But I'm concerned about the Nets a little bit. I don't I see how they concerned. fix it. I see the I see the hole, and I see the issues. I guess it's more of I don't see how they can fix it. Is more no. You the only thing you could hope for is that DeAndre Jordan finds the fountain of youth, or that Jared Allen takes a step and like understands. Can we go with the, DeAndre Jordan to find the fountain of youth? Because I'd like some too. <laughs> yeah, that you know that that's like that's like the mission, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> you have you have you have five months to you have five months to figure this out, DeAndre. Yep. <laughs> uh, but you know that's that's about it. I mean, they, there's not really much they can do. The buyout market's going to be pretty interesting because there's a lot of teams that are in the market for rim protection. Yep. Uh, like the Lakers come to mind. 
Hassan Whiteside's probably the only kind of big name person that's going to be on that buyout market that I can think of right now off the top yeah. of my head. And it depends on how Sack's record is by the uh, by that point. But, right. Um, yeah. But like I could see him getting getting bought out and and going somewhere to a contender. Uh, mm. It depends too if. I mean, I've heard rumors that the the Kings are trying to move Bagley already. Hmm. Uh, so I mean, they could be they, that could be interesting I... later. Interesting. I haven't I haven't seen that or heard that at all. Um, well, I mean, obviously, there's this whole debacle with his father and then De'Aaron Fox's dad <laughs> saying yesterday, <laughs> trade him. Um, you know, kings and weird parents have had a long history. So <laughs> or, so I'd rather <laughs> it, this seems kind of normal for me and Kings fans. But yeah, that's not good either. <laughs> but yeah, the thing is, I don't know what Bagley hasn't said anything about wanting out. I think Bagley, honestly, is just trying to focus on trying to trying stay to on the court. In. Trying to yeah. stay on the court, one. he's He was hurt a lot. He only played 13 games last year, and, you know, he kind of found a little bit of a rhythm in Houston. He had some good games, and then this stuff happens, and it's like is I think I'm pretty sure Bagley right now at least is just like, God damn, can I just play? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, but, yeah, um, it's just something to it's just something to monitor. I, the East has been fun already. Um, yeah. I really hope the Hawks um, continue to continue to play well. I would love I would so love to see what the discourse would look like by the end of the year if the Hawks won fifty games. The Mavericks defense is still terrible and finish lower than what we expected. And Trey Young's in the MVP discussion. And then people get to relitigate the Luka Doncic Trey Young trade on draft night. And, you know, I could just see the bloodbath <laughs> that comes with that because the takes are going to fly if Trey Young is like, and in, if Trey Young is this hypothetical, it's early. The Hawks also have a terrible defense, so I don't know how. They st- the defense still isn't good, although Hunter and Reddish have taken another leap on that end. I just it'd be hilarious if Trey Young finished in the top four for like uh, for MVP voting, had a top four seed in the East, and then the discourse and the chaos could start happening. <laughs> yeah, I I think again it it comes back to the thing of I I there's no there's nothing in my mind that can convince me that. Trey Young is a better, like a better prospect or player than Luca. Like I would take. Oh, Luka agreed. Agreed. Ten times out of ten. Agreed. Um. So like to me, when people argue that stuff, it's just to me, it it comes down to a stupid argument of like recency bias and like, okay, yeah, he had one good season. They're like, you know what? Like, look at look at them. Look at them as players. Yeah. I'd rather have Luca Doncic. So yes, like this tr- trade worked out for both sides, but I still would take Luca over. Nine times out trade of worked out yeah but i would yeah luca's the better player i would i would take him and plus like the mavericks gave didn't the mavericks give up for i forget who gave up more who got drafted earlier luca got drafted earlier yeah, so, yeah the, the mavericks Ma- traded the mavericks traded back that's um, right um to the number five pick um and you know the hawks picked Doncic, and then they traded him to the yeah. mavericks and you know the mavericks got trey young etc yeah, yeah, yeah um <clears throat> So yeah, the the thing with me with the East, I like the Wizards a lot. Uh, I have to, I have to get there first. I, I want to see them 
play defense <laughs> like their defense I, is still really fucking bad yeah but the thing i love i love watching them play oh they're There's fun so much they're fun, fun. To play. and the thing was with i love them now that Rui's back and he's running with them it gives them just another person to run with them Rui's a player man i he, love Rui. He, he's a player and I, and that's I just, just, that's not that's not just because i'm japanese and i have a ton of rookie cards i, I just want to say game. like the the comment the the fan the fan discourse and broadcasters commenting on Rui's games it makes me uncomfortable um just because they <clears throat> they'll say they'll say they'll say stuff like konnichiwa and stuff like that and that just makes me slight that just makes me a hell of a yeah. lot uncomfortable and it's like yeah. can we just talk about Rui the basketball player yes it's cool he, he it's cool that he's a japanese basketball player and um it, I mean, it means a lot for a, japan and stuff, but the like one one or two is fine and it's funny but like I'm it's like, been going on since last season and yeah. it just made it's like can we stop with this like there's Rui's a, a, a human point, just like all of us like it, there's a point where you're like okay this we're are we done with this joke now like, yeah like fun. it's it's just not it's just real it makes me as a minority, it just makes me. There's a lot of levels of uncomfortability I feel with this, so I just I wanted to point that out because it goes on on Reddit too, and you know how weird Reddit gets with this shit. Um, yeah, and it's and it's it's just it, Rui's it, Rui is a damn good player. I think he'll be a damn good player. Um, I think defensively he still needs to figure some stuff out, but I think he has the athleticism, the size, and the length. But he has some ball handling chops. Like he mm-hmm. has some passing chops. The other he had a pass against the Bulls, and yeah, I was watching Wizards Bulls over the weekend. Um, <laughs> but uh, he had a nice pass to uh, Thomas Bryant. It was like a nice interior pat wraparound pass. Like mm-hmm. Ru- he's a good player, man. I'm I'm the Wizards have some fun young talent. They are definitely fun to watch. I I just thought you were more talking about them like as a playoff team, and it's like I still have them in the playoffs, but I haven't been encouraged by their defense. Oh, I just like them. I just like them. The I think as they get more comfortable together as oh, a yeah. group, I think they'll get a lot better. But I think to me right now they're just fun to watch because they get out. They get a rebound and they just run. They go. They got they got so many guys. And the thing is that's great is I love watching when Denny's on the floor. It just like we were talking about in the draft, he's such a great connecting piece. Mm-hmm. He's the perfect Lego brick to put in there and make these pieces like to put the <laughs> you know you know when yep. you have the two the two Lego pieces that are separated and you put the one in the center that's perfectly yep. matched up. Yep. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it it it's a solid wall. Yeah. Like now this works like Denny's perfect for that. Team. He knows his role. He shoots open shots, he makes quick passes, he could ball handle mm-hmm. a little bit like the I'm tell the Wizards have had some nice drafts and if you just look talent-wise like this team should be like I see no reason why this team shouldn't be like a fifth seed or you know or if they reach their ceiling like a fourth seed. I mean, we already seen weird stuff with the season so far. I don't see why the Wizards can't go yeah. further up, you know. Um also I I just love the dynamic between Westbrook and Beal. Like, at least Westbrook has shown a willingness sometimes to run the off-ball stuff for Beal because he knows that Beal is a he's a bad motherfucker too. Like Beal is <laughs> yeah. like Beal is he's tough. Like the shots he was making down the stretch and the playmaking he was doing um, against Brooklyn yesterday was awesome. Um, the Wizards are a fun team. Thomas Bryant too is a nice offensive center. Like athletic can shoot. Mm-hmm. 
Like I was, la- I was laugh with Thomas Bryant and like the Wizards because it, for a while, it was like the it was like the Wizards would just look at the end of the Lakers bench and go, "We could use that guy." <laughs> yeah, because the Lakers had Isaac Bonga too, right? Yeah, we had Isaac yeah. Bonga. They had, the, they had in, Mo Wagner still in there. Yep, Mo Wagner, are, like was a Laker. So like the basically the wizards have like half of the south bay lakers from like a couple years ago <laughs> yeah <laughs> they really do like you're talking about you're the g league team yeah 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 the g yep um yeah um the wizards are the wizards are definitely fun um very short-lived era for the four and two cleveland cavaliers um it looks like dante exum just had he had a i'm not watching the game because uh we're recording but um, checking on Twitter and stuff, it looks like Dante Exum suffered a non-contact injury. Um, I hope that I hope for the best for Dante because he has definitely gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to that stuff. Um, but the Cavs are losing a lot of healthy bodies already, and it's it's kind of a shame because like the first three games of the season, like obviously I wasn't going to have them like as a high playoff team or anything, but they were a competent fun team with players that I like that makes sense um yeah Kevin Porter Jr. is dealing with off the court stuff but Okoro making an impact as a rookie without necessarily scoring he goes down with the foot injury um Darius Garland has been hurt and then you got Kevin Love again who who has been who has been out with a strained calf like I'm kind of sad that (laughs) that now this might be the start of the early season snowball of losses for the Cavs um but I will say, uh, I don't react to ESPN top 100 list because I just think that's the, I mean, it's a list. Like I'm not going to react. It's going to be different. There's going to be egregious stuff, but having Colin Sexton not in the top 100 was weird to me, especially when he, I mean, I'm not having Sexton like in the high forties or fifties or anything, but like he was an efficient offensive player, especially post All Star break. He took a leap as a three point shooter. Slightly slight improvement as a passer, though he's more of a one to one assist to turnover guy. But having a great start to this year too, and I kind of, as somebody who was down on Colin Sexton and has seen him improve his game year after year, it's been that's been cool to see. And also, I have some friends, you know, that cover the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, so I always kind of tangentially root for them. Um, but that was that that was one where I was like, man, I kind of wanted to see them a little bit more healthy, but Magic are still up there. It's a weird looking conference right now if you just look at the standings, but you know it's early. Yeah, it's super early. Uh, but yeah, I I, I agree. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of teams that I think are going to drop off. Like, I don't yeah. I don't see you know, I don't see the the Heat continuing to play this bad. Like, I don't. Jimmy Butler's going to get healthy too and yeah, play. I don't also. I don't know if the Knicks are going to keep treading water like they are uh the only the only Thibodeau absolute, might scare them into 500 <laughs> there's only there's only a couple of things that we know for sure we know the lakers are really good and we know the pistons are really bad <laughs> that's kind of the only things that we know so far <laughs> throughout the course of this entire season yeah i want it i i did want to make a brief mention of the pistons because after seeing their series mini series against boston and seeing how they've been playing they're not as bad as I thought they would be, but again, it's early. They're it's going to be bad. But the Pistons seem to be one of those teams to me where if they would make a lot more sense if they 
had somebody like a obviously you could say this with any team but more so with the Pistons if they just had that one high level shot creator from the perimeter everything just falls into place I think for them because then you could because then you could put all the bigs they have in a proper place Jeremy Grant has actually been kind of good to start the year more than I thought but it's early I don't think the Pistons are going to be good um I also don't think the Raptors are going to be this bad although if we don't see a leap from Siakam soon maybe the the Lowry trade might be imminent uh by the deadline um the Suns I love the Suns I love the Suns I I know we talk about them every week but I love the Suns I love what Chris Paul being put on top of this team has done for them I didn't expect him to have one of the best defenses in the uh in the NBA um they are currently third right now per cleaning the glass with a 104.4 defensive rating but when you look at the team it makes sense you got Chris Paul Mikel Bridges is looking like Villanova Mikel Bridges where he's just locking down dudes and then averaging over 16 points on the other end then you got Jay Crowder and then you sub those guys out and guess who comes in Cam Johnson who has taken another leap as a defender and then Javon Carter can replace Mm -hmm. Chris Paul like their defense has been way ahead of their offense so far and their offense hasn't even started clicking yet and that's scary because Booker hasn't necessarily Booker looks very cold to start the season he hasn't been lighting it up necessarily and yet the Suns still have the seventh best offensive rating and I feel like their offense hasn't realize its full potential yet the suns are so good <laughs> my my son's conference finals pick is looking real good and I'm it's looking real good that. man like and the thing is like it's sustainable too it's not one of those yeah seven game thi- like this team is this team is legit yep i'm very i'm very happy to watch i watch every game of theirs that i can and it's so it's so fun to watch chris paul take command like he's we talk about LeBron being such a great leader. Mm-hmm. People, people need to respect Chris Paul here. The, the, like, the, the president of the Players Association. Yeah. Fuck yeah, they the, better respect him as a leader. The, <laughs> the guy, the just the way that he leads and the way he teaches young players mm-hmm. is incredible to watch. Yep. Where you watch every play, every timeout, even every ball stoppage, he's talking to a young guy like stand here, do yep. this, blah, blah blah, and you see it. And then, and his teammates admit that he could be annoying sometimes. Chris has admitted, like, you guys know how I am. I know how I can be yeah. sometimes. But at the end of the day, he helps you win damn games. And teammates still love, well, with the exception of probably Blake and DeAndre Jordan. But people have loved playing with Chris Paul. I'm sure, say, Gilgis Alexander will tell you that, tell you how much he loved Chris Paul and how he still talks to him all the time. Like, yeah. Chris Paul is awesome. And uh, I'm glad that... I'm glad we're in a space now where Chris Paul is still like a top 15 player, top 15 to 12 player. And, you know, cause you remember he signed that contract extension a few years ago with the Rockets and yeah. everyone was like, this contract's going to be an albatross. Like, and <clears throat> the valids were, the concerns were valid, small point guard. They typically don't age well, blah, blah, blah. I think what people underestimated was Chris Paul's work ethic LeBron like work ethic really like it's in the realm of LeBron's work ethic Kobe like all those great players you've changed his diet he's still the same smart 
passive pass first point guard that could score mid-range god chris paul like he's still this good and it's it's that well, contract now it's like the contract is worth it but can chris paul stay healthy but he's shown that so far and it's awesome right and i think it comes down to and it's something that people don't bring don't think about at all is the idea that chris paul's game was never based on athleticism it ages so gracefully because it's all based on his skill and his intelligence and yeah the athleticism was sapped away after he got that meniscus surgery right in new orleans but his game his game never relied on it it's like luca right now right like luca Mm -hmm. could luca could tear up an acl knock on what he doesn't but luca could tear up an acl and lose a ton of athleticism now and still be a great player yeah it's the way that their games are they're they're not based around any kind of athleticism they don't play they play at their speed and they play the way they want to play they don't play to anyone else's stuff they're not trying to blow past anyone they're being crafty and they're making moves and they got what i call the old man moves in the in the park yeah He, he People are getting pissed off at Trey Young's, um, you know, dribble around the screen and then back his ass up into the trailing defender, and it's a foul yeah. every time. Chris Paul was the originator of that. Yeah. Like, Chris Paul popularized that. So, like, Chris Paul is – I always loved – like, Chris Paul is obviously – it goes without saying he's one of the best point guards in NBA history. And I think the Suns – the Suns obviously hit it out of the park here. And it's been – it's been – awesome to watch because I have been a big Devin Booker fan for a long time. I felt like I've always tried to defend Devin Booker when he got the uh, empty calorie scoring guard label, which I never agreed with because of his playmaking. And it's just, it's cool. It's cool to finally see like, it's cool to see guys like Booker and Aiton finally taste the success because I think they are going to be really good for a long time, especially Booker. I think he could be a top 10 possibly a best guy on a championship team guy because I think his offense is that special um but Suns are a legit contender right now man it's it's and DeAndre Ayton doesn't care about scoring like which is awesome he's just focusing his attention on the defensive end which is obviously like he always took pride in his defense um I've always been more enamored with his ability to move his feet in college than everybody else was people just labeled him i think people saw his rim protection wasn't really good um instead of looking at his strengths defensively and he's thriving and uh shout out to chris paul man he's he's awesome yeah and you can see too that chris paul takes special interest in deandre ayton yep he's talking to him all the time he's talking to him more than he talks to booker yeah and every time every game you see deandre ayton get more and more comfortable in the pick and roll get more and more comfortable on the offensive end, knowing where to be. Yep. And that's going to be huge for him going forward. I think he's going to be, I think Chris Paul coming to the Suns maybe doubles, triples DeAndre Ayton's career value over the course of his career for the next decade or whatever. Absolutely. And also now I want to go look up YouTube highlights of early Chris Paul because early (laughs) Chris Paul, early Chris Paul's athleticism was you remember the dunk he had on Dwight Howard? I think it was his yeah. second, second or third year. Like that, Chris Paul was so quick and so fast. Like that meniscus surgery. If you remember, I think it was 2009. He had the meniscus surgery. It was yeah. after his borderline MVP year that maybe he had an argument over Kobe for. Um, I do but, I do miss 
I was a, I was a secret son. I was a secret Hornets fan of those like of the Chris Paul Hornets teams where he had Mo uh, Pete, Tyson Chandler, David West, Peja. Like I loved those teams. All those guys, Gennaro <laughs> Parga. <laughs> it was just it was just give Chris. It was just the satellite Chris Paul with yep. all of these all of these just catch and shoot guys around him and, and Tyson awesome. Chandler just jumping out of young Tyson Chandler yeah. jumping out of the gym and getting so lob dunks every it those Hornets teams were definitely fun for me to watch in a in high school along with um even though they weren't on Nash on TV often for me to see them I always enjoyed a uh, Hibachi and the uh, Wizards uh, Agent Zero yeah <clears throat> like we were it. talking about me and my friend were talking about it the other day like I don't want to go into a mid 2000s nostalgia kick here but i guess that's where we are but um gilbert arenas uh i i guess like a few weeks ago he said that uh he would compare his game to harden and i think people were giving him a hard time for it but like it was kind of true like gilbert arenas was a top five player like pre knee injury gilbert arenas Mm -hmm. that dude gave kobe 60 in the staples center with like moves that made kobe look like foolish and Kobe was a good defender at that point in his career like so the thing is like, with Gilbert, Gilbert was the, awesome man yeah and the thing with Gilbert that I don't think he gets credit for either but he was the first one to kind of take like the deep curry threes that we're seeing yeah now, right? like, yep yep he was taking like deep threes yeah I remember at the time it was like he would take like deep threes with like the game on the line and so he had like three yeah. buzzer beaters in 2007 and like a few more game winners like that dude was kind of ahead of his time a little bit. And prime Gilbert Arenas, like that would have been fun to watch. Like I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking at his uh, his 2006 stat line. He averaged 29 points per game and shot 37 percent from three on seven attempts per game. Like in the modern NBA, like that he's shooting, he's shooting he, 15. He's, he's shooting at least 10, uh, 10 or 11. But the fact that he was a he was a he was a he was a complete. And just a complete and utterly awesome player, and um, it, it just so, made I've just got nostalgic for a second. So sorry about so that. So this no problem. So we'll we'll end it here. We'll end it after this question because we I was getting to this things with my dad the other day, and I think or last night actually. So my dad was, you know, with Kobe, the Kobe's, all the Kobe stuff coming around again, uh, with the with Curry doing dropping the sixty. Uh, all the Kobe highlights started coming up because Kobe was a little, the, sec- Curry was the second oldest player. Yep. To drop sixty, and so all the Kobe highlights coming came started coming up because Kobe Kobe obviously is the oldest player, right? Yep. So, uh, all the Kobe highlights started coming up. My dad was watching Kobe highlights. And he was like, "Man, I forgot." Like, it, you know, we're Laker fans, so we understand. You grew up with Kobe, and we understand. We know all the highlights. But my dad goes, "Man, we forget how good Kobe was," right? Mm-hmm. Like, just you know, you you. Time escapes you, right? You forget, and especially so, in the social media era, right? And so I brought I, my statement was that Kobe has the best mixtape, like the highlight reel. Kobe is the most fun to watch, and so my dad said, "No, it's Jordan." And so we watched Jordan highlights, and he at the end of it was like, "Yeah, okay, I agree with you. Kobe has better highlights." And it comes down to, and it doesn't come down to anything skill wise or like level of difficulty it comes down to jordan is so smooth and he makes things look so easy that they're kind of boring to watch 
when, when you watch Co- when you watch Kobe highlights, he's jerking around. He's he's getting guys out of position. He's doing up and under fakes, and like guys are all over him, right? Yeah, he has Jordan, those drop steps, those shoulder fakes, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, like Jordan. Jordan is just gliding by people and yeah. speeding past people, and it's kind of wide I open dunks say, and wide open. Like you're, it, I would say second three P Jordan. He had more fundamental footwork because his athleticism yeah. was going a little bit. But I see what you're saying. It was he made it look so easy. I, he's so smooth, right? He's, he's such so a smooth, smooth athlete. Yeah, I could see. It, for me, it, I guess it depends on preference, right? Because I love Jordan highlights, like even right. his stuff. And Kobe, I could see a case for Kobe aesthetically being more pleasing to watch than Jordan, especially because you know all, me and you. That's all me the, and you. We, down to you. Me and you, we grew up with Kobe. Like right. we grew up with those guys. So there's going to be a, an affinity towards that. Me personally, I like watching T Mac highlights and Allen Iverson highlights just as much. Um, right. So I think... I, guys that I love, I love, I like watching Magic highlights mm-hmm. a ton. I love watching Magic Johnson highlights. I love watching Hakeem highlights. Yeah, Hakeem I, highlights. I'm are, a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge footwork guy. So watching Hakeem do the dream shake. Hakeem's my favorite unders, center of all time. <laughs> yeah, like, he's my so favorite. Watching center. all of that stuff is awesome to me. Yeah, you're 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 uh, a, you're speaking. You are speaking to my heart because I love Hakeem Olajuwon. That tweet by that NBA media guy that I won't mention because he's usually just awful said that James yes. Harden was the best Rocket ever, and I'm like, did Hakeem like did Hakeem die something? Exist? Like, did he not exist? Like, what the hell? Like, Hakeem is so underrated, and you know, obviously, I grew up with Shaq more than Hakeem, but like. You know, as a kid, I would go. My, I think what happened with my dad loved Hakeem Olajuwon too. Um, obviously, he was able to see Hakeem more in person than I was, right? But right. I would, I would grow up. I would when you when I knew how to use YouTube and the internet started getting bigger. If it wasn't like NBA, NBA like films or whatever that you would see on TV, you would go to YouTube and you would watch Hakeem Olajuwon and. Of course, one of the first things that comes up is how he absolutely destroyed David Robinson in his MVP uh, season. And so from there, I've loved Akeem. I loved his footwork. The fact that he has his own move called the Dream Shake is just is deadly. And it's not just one move. It's the Dream Shake is he can do he can react. He can react. The thing with the counters is for most people, counters can be predetermined. Like if a guy does this, then I have a plan B. If he does this, then I have a plan C. Hakeem like had this special ability to react in real time in a split millisecond. Mm -hmm. Like if the defender's going this way in the moment, he'll do the, he'll do a different counter. Like, and that's where the fluid fluidity of his soccer background and everything just came into, came into play there. And I, I love I love watching Akeem. I also love watching T Mac. I think um, T Mac is he he'll unfortunately I think as the years go on. Well, maybe he won't because of the internet era. But I feel like he gets lost among history because there is a legit argument for T Mac in the early two thousands as being the best player in the world. Sure. And that was like I a think, legit I think discussion. T Mac T Mac is in the same. I put him in the same kind of crowd as like a penny hardaway or grant hill where people just don't realize like how good these guys were yeah and t-mac was if you're talking about smooth with uh mj like there was a smooth there was an aesthetic smoothness to t-mac where he was just 
he and, he, and you know, he got kind of knocked for it because people just assumed he was like that all the time. But he just had this sleepy-eyed, cool look about him where he just glides across well, the it, court. Again, it comes down to the Jordan thing of, like, he they're so smooth, it looks so easy, right? Yeah, and but for T-Mac, kind of it looked cool like he like the he'll give you like the kobe shoulder shake but he's six eight not six it's six and it's more jarring i guess in a way to see a player that big be that he's like agile. a smooth durant it, it would yeah like smooth like yeah like kevin durant like at that size you're just like oh my god like this well, guy durant durant they're they're basically the same player but durant has a little bit more of a jerkiness to him yeah he has a yeah he has that he has that herky jerk yeah exactly like especially when you see it in his handle but t-max it was like boom boom like fluid like water yeah. and then he just pull up on you like and he would also whip a great pass like t-mac was awesome and then of course you know my guy alan iverson it goes without saying like yeah alan iverson's highlights are timeless and i just keep thinking like what if he was put in an era where like today where the coach would actually put the ball in alan iverson's hands and not play him as a shooting guard next to Eric Snow and Aaron McKee and see like what he would do with the Harden offense, you know, like where you just ISO him at the top of the key and you're either running pick and roll or Iverson, possibly the fastest point guard in history is going to blow by you just by himself. It would have, I just think about that all the time with him. Um, but those are my, those would be my three guys. Kobe too. Um, even though as my Laker even though I grew up as a Laker hater, like I always respected Kobe. I feared every time he had the ball in his hands with like a minute left or whenever it was crunch time. Like all the all the Kobe things that I think about him that are great is very fear worthy. But um, you know, there were obviously playoff games I remember about him. Like game six. I always watch uh his game six two thousand ten Western Conference highlights against the Suns because yeah. I mean, you know this, like, he had, like, three straight shots on Grant Hill in that second half where he was doubled, pump faking, pump faking, trying to get the defenders that are already in his grill to bite, and he just rises up and makes a stupid, tough fadeaway. And it's like, and, and that was the closeout game, and I was like, damn, yeah, this is over for the Suns. Especially, he hit a fadeaway over Grant Hill, and Alvin Gentry called a timeout, and Kobe just turned around and smacked, on the butt, him, on right? the, yeah, yeah. smacked him on the ass. <laughs> it was like, oh, God, yeah, no, this is over. <laughs> those, th- those, are, those would be some of my favorites, I guess. Sorry for the long-winded answer, but no, you made no me problem. go on a nostalgic yeah. trip here. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that kind of became the, the topic of discussion the other night, so that's – so I, I mean, I assume you you love what you, the Kobe highlights are your favorites. Um, besides yeah, I like Hakeem. Kobe highlights. I like I like Magic highlights. Hakeem, like we talked about. Yeah, Magic. You uh, said that. Yeah, I'm a big D Wade guy too, so I like D Wade highlights. I used to wear uh when D Wade went on his finals run, um, in 2006. That was uh going into my freshman year. Um, I did a summer program for the high school that I was going to. It was basically if you do the summer program. It was kind of like an interlude to the basketball team's camp, and you kind of got a leg up in terms of making the team if you did the summer thing right. And so, uh, you know, I was playing summer games, and I would we had red so- we had our red uniforms, and um, I had these really high red socks, and I would wear them like Dwayne Wade because Dwayne Wade's <laughs> playoff run was was just fascinating to me as a kid. He went through the Pistons in the Eastern Conference Finals. He, um, he and obviously came back against the Maverick. It was just an unexpected run from the Heat, and I loved watching Dwayne Wade. 
And so I would copy, <laughs> I copied his high sock style and I would wear them to games. <laughs> it was kind of, it, it's kind of like a nice little, you know, teenager watching a future Hall of Famer. Like, oh, this guy's going to be good. I'm going to be like him type thing. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. All right, man. Anything, anything else before we close this out? Um, no. Um, I should let you know that I finished Mandalorian season two before we get off. Oh, um, and I was pissed that it was only eight episodes. So like <laughs> I was on episode seven and I was like, Oh, I'll binge watch more for the weekend. There's probably like 12 episodes in here. And I'm like looking at the episode guide and there's like only one more episode. I'm like, wait, like it hasn't been coming out for a few weeks. Is this it? Like I was so mad. Yeah. It's so good, man. Like it's so good. It's like, and I think last season it was kind of like, it got the credit. Like it was a, Oh, you know, it's a Star Wars Western, like, and that was its appeal, right? But there's, like, yeah. more lore that has been built out in this season and more layered storytelling, which yeah. I really like when shows evolve like that. The Mandalorian's just awesome. And then, of course, like, you know, all this – I don't want to spoil it, but all the stuff that's coming out after this with all the characters mm-hmm. that have been introduced, old characters that we know and love, like, it's um, – to me, To me, the biggest thing to me – for this season and it was a worry for me coming in and i don't think this is a spoiler because we knew this i think pretty much everyone knows this is the my concern was like bringing in a ton of characters that we already knew Mm -hmm. and i didn't i didn't want the show to become like oh well mando and he who's he gonna who's he gonna run into this week right like yeah the monster of the week type thing i didn't want it to be like a tour through the star wars universe with mando yeah right like i don't want I don't want him just running into famous characters every time we, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, so when you heard like, oh, Bo-Katan's in this season, great. That makes sense. Bo-Katan's totally cool. She makes sense. Of course he would run into her. And it's like, oh, uh, Ahsoka's in this season? Well, okay, I don't know. Like, where does she fit in? Okay, well, whatever. And so the list kind of goes on and on and on. You're like, man, what, how many characters are they going to bring in here? And then all of my concerns went away because it, it was done so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so... by the end of it, you're just like, Oh wow, this was a great. And then of course the, uh, the ending, um, yeah, of course the ending, the ending tugged incredible. on my heartstrings. It was like, it was one of those like, Oh, like, damn, like, don't make me, don't, don't make me cry right here. Type I stuff. Did. I cried. <laughs> hey man, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with uh crying. You got to let it out sometimes. Like Hell I was, yeah. I was, I was, I was like, wow, th- I was like, wow, this is, this is beautiful and also sad, but it was Mandal Mandalorian is a great show. I can't wait for the next season too. And then I can't wait for all the, all the um, extra stuff. All the extra stuff that they have coming out. Um, the era of Disney, man. <clears throat> yeah, man. We have a uh, we have uh, WandaVision in two weeks. I'm very excited. So, oh, or actually, wow. next week. Wow, a lot of a, week, a lot of the Marvel. Yeah, a lot of the Marvel shows are coming out too. Um, yeah, so we so. have we have WandaVision coming out in the 15th. So that's like a week and a half, and then we have uh, the Falcon Winter Soldier show in March. So. I think uh, my free year of Disney Plus is up, so I'm going to have to hit up Dad and make sure that, that all that's in order. <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it, man. And the thing is, too, like the, the deal that they have, the the Disney package, so to speak, where it's it's Hulu, ESPN, Plus, Plus. ESPN Plus for 12 bucks is insanely good. What? Yeah, it's insanely good value. But why well, I, I still have the mentality of a college student, so shout out to all my loved ones who are letting me use their stuff i'm totally with you there (laughs) i provide i provide i pay for the i pay for uh verve an anime streaming service so i provide the anime that's what i bring to the table (laughs) with my friends while i use all their other stuff (laughs) 
so sharing is caring, baby. Yeah, sharing is caring. All right, guys. So we're gonna end it off there. Thank you guys for listening. We have another week of fantastic NBA basketball coming up. And uh, do you have any games that you're looking forward to, by the way, Jordan? Before we end there, um, any matchups that you're looking at and going like, damn. I was looking really forward good. to. Obviously, I was looking forward to. Um, Sixers Nets, but it's kind of dampened a little bit because Durant's not going to be there now. Um, yeah. Basically, I, it's not so much more games. I'm looking to track teams like, you know, the Blazers, and I want to see the Nets kind of can see if they can fix their rebounding and slight defense problem. Um, I'm going to be watching a lot of Kings games too because I am going to be, you know, covering some of these games for uh, iHeart and. Um, I really want to see um, – I hope Tyrese Halliburton comes back because I think he's been the rookie of the year so far, and he's been awesome. But there's not necessarily any games, but what about you, man? Uh, so one game I'm, I am targeting so to make sure I watch and, and really kind of – I'm probably going to watch multiple times is the – on Saturday there is a Nuggets-Sixers game that I'm very excited about. Oh, uh, Jokic, uh, Jokic versus Embiid. Uh, I think that's the really – good matchup i think both those teams are really interesting to me i'm curious how they're going to work out uh and we have one we have a team in the sixers that are kind of clicking out on cylinders and, and cylinders and getting going and the nuggets team that's kind of a little off but i mean the thing is with the nuggets is they have the bodies to be able to match up with the sixers and i think they're one of the few teams that do with where they have Jokic and they have porter who could kind of at least size wise, keep up size wise and athleticism wise, keep up with Ben Simmons, which I think is one of the few players that can. That's my word um, with the Nuggets. They've lost uh, too much. I mean, when they lost Jeremy Grant, like yeah. their def- their defense was already average, and they haven't been good so far this year. So it's like, did I have the Nuggets too far up in the tier? I don't know. We'll find out. But before we go, I hope people placed bets on Embiid's MVP odds before the year started because I imagine that bet, if you make it right now, won't be as valuable. He has been dominant on both ends of the floor. The Sixers have the best defensive rating in the NBA by a bit. It's early, obviously, but he looks to be engaged, in shape, and he has started to figure out double teams, and I think that's because of personnel, but... If Embiid, that was the last step with Embiid's offensive game, can he figure out the right read out of a double team? And if he continues this pace, like showing that he keeps figuring it out, well, then that was the last piece. You can't stop the guy. Like, yeah, that's just that was was sort of the same argument with uh, Anthony Davis's offensive game, too. But you're starting to see it this season that Mark Mark Gasol is having such an impact on him Mm -hmm. where he's starting to learn. I I, Davis has thrown some nice passes this year. He threw he threw a couple of of Mark Gasol bounce passes the other night where I was like, oh, he's learning. Yeah. He's figuring it out. That's what I'm oh, seeing with Embiid right now. I'm like, oh, shit, he's learning. He's inviting the double team. Like, he's willingly inviting the double team yeah, so we can get the terrifying. offense going. And I've never seen so many open corner threes in my four years watching this fucking team. This season, we've seen I've seen more corner open corner threes from the Sixers than at any point during the Ben Simmons and Embiid era, even with the Reddick covington Sharich lineup with the, that had all that shooting. Like, Embiid is figuring stuff out. And I think... That's where before the season I had the Sixers as a high tier uh, contender, or not contender, but I had them high in the tier two of the Eastern Conference behind the Bucks and the Nets. It's like if Embiid gets back into shape, that's the best big in basketball. So I'm excited. It's good times, and it's good times for this podcast as well. Yeah, guys. So thanks for watching, and we'll see you guys next week.
the B.O.B.